Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast, shining a light on bright ideas. Today, I can't even wait to introduce you to Fire and Flavor. What a cool <laughs> brand name on the podcast today is Davis Knox. He's CEO and co-founder. Davis, so great to have you on the podcast. Great to be on the on the podcast this morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's so fun. Uh, Davis is over in Athens. I'm in Atlanta. We could have probably met up in person. It's like less than an hour drive, but um, really cool to have someone local um, on the show. It's, I, I just I had so much fun researching you and your, your company and whatnot. I can't wait to dive in. Um, all right, Davis, how about this? Before we get to Fire and Flavor, why don't you share a little bit about you and your background before launching the business? So my wife and I are the are the founders of Fire and Flavor, and we both went to the University of Georgia, both grew up in Georgia. Um, we uh, both had kind of an uh, uh, interest in entrepreneurship from a young age. And uh, as we got out into the real world, we, we essentially just uh, surrounded ourselves with entrepreneurs. Uh, both of us are big cooks, and we kept kind of dabbling in different ideas around the food business, um, kind of fast-forwarding about uh, four or five years post college was when we started Fire and Flavor. So that was that was built around kind of our interest in uh, in cooking at home and getting more people into cooking. So I love that. And then how did you go from we like cooking at home to hey maybe this is a business idea? Like where did it start? So my wife is more the cook than I am. So <laughs> she grew up around a mom that and I, that's that's a wonderful thing in this day and age to have have a wife who loves to cook. So I'm well nursed. Um, so uh, she grew up around a mom who's also a great cook, and uh, her mom had a catering business. And so they, um, she was kind of well trained in that kind of uh, that kind of way. But she discovered through a, a culinary magazine this concept of cooking salmon on a cedar plank. And that was one of our first products that we dabbled with. And we said, well, why do these things not exist in grocery markets? And uh, that was uh, one of the first products that we took into the gourmet trade. And it uh, it took off pretty quickly. So before we had, had done a lot of, you know, in-depth planning, we kind of stumbled upon a... Uh, a product idea that seemed to have some some legs. That's really cool. So you've got fire flavor, hero, and accessories. Um, when you launched, so were you initially selling to friends and family, or what did that look like when you were just getting started? Well, we took it. You probably know the Atlanta merchandise. Oh yeah, no, well, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, so Jenna, Jenna, and her mom took this. Uh, this it's really a prototype. We were making this stuff in our garage, and they took it <laughs> down there and literally. After a couple of days of being at that mart, they came back with six thousand dollars in a cash box. So I was like, "Holy cow! This might have some legs." Got some proof of concept. <laughs> yeah. So that's when I was like, "Well, maybe you should take this a little more seriously." And uh, we ended up hiring our first employee to work in our garage. So literally, a business that started in our garage. It's fun. Um, and then I encouraged her to go after you know Fresh Market and Kroger and some of these these retailers, including Whole Foods. Uh, which was just coming into the Atlanta market. That's right. Uh, this was in 2003 and four. So, yeah, that was kind of where we started. And it, and it uh, those retailers gave us some placement, and uh, we were off to the races. Wow. Okay. So how? Did, so that's great. Um, 
for those who don't know the merchandising mart, um, there's a couple of major markets throughout the year in Atlanta, in Dallas, and Las Vegas, and High Point, and they're, they all focus on different products. But um, great place to get your, you know, kind of test out a new product, right? You get a booth and people come through, retailers coming through, buyers and whatnot. It's really kind of cool. Um, anyway, so back to you, you guys. So you get some good feedback at the mart. You, you're, you've got, you sold a couple. Um, how did, and then you started getting into retail. It's, were you still able to do that in the garage at that point or did you have to expand? What did that look like? Yeah, that was kind of a crazy time because neither one of us had a traditional background in, in consumer product goods. Um, she was a landscape architect by trade and I had a finance degree from the university of Georgia. So, um, we basically moved into a thousand square feet warehouse and we started to quickly try to figure out the supply chain aspects of this. Like when we got our first order, they said, we'll deliver a pallet to us. And we asked, <laughs> we like, what is a pallet? We, even, <laughs> I love we were it. like, yeah, we were like, we can bring this down in our Volvo. I mean, we don't really know what we're doing yet, but we figured it out. Our and uh, it literally was like that. Uh, there was a guy, a very dear friend of ours uh, now named John Bowler, that was the seafood buyer for the Atlanta region. And he really took Jenna under his wing, kind of <laughs> like a, a daughter, and educated us on, you know, how you do this. You right. got to have a barcode in your product. Totally. All, all these kind of things. Yeah. You know, it's yep. important. I mean, if you haven't worked in the industry, you wouldn't know some of those things. Even packaging, like you mentioned, barcodes. You mentioned, like, how do things need to be packed to so be delivered to a retailer, right? That's right. That's right. So, um, you know, we, we, we figured it out quickly enough without any major issues. We got some, you know, business uh, organization and insurance and that kind of stuff to make sure we weren't totally being foolhearted. But um, luckily, nothing kind of uh, nothing catastrophic ha- happened in that initial phase. And we sold, I want to say we sold $16,000 in the first uh, few months. And we were off to the races with almost a uh, I think a three hundred thousand dollar business in the next calendar year. Wow, so, it's so awesome! It was off to the races. Okay, was it? So, what was the product mix then? You know, was it just the plank, or what did that look like? In the beginning, it was just the planks, yep. and uh, as we got uh, a lot of distribution in that, uh, around two thousand five, two thousand six, we got national distribution. Got it. So we were able to get into about ten thousand stores in the first five years. So once we had that kind of nucleus of uh, of points of distribution, we started expanding into flavor and other products in the growing space. So, Got um, it. One, yeah, one of those ended up being turkey brine. So we ended up becoming one of the first pioneers of brining a holiday turkey. And we still have the leading pro- product in the marketplace called Turkey Perfect. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of like the butterball hotline at our company during during Thanksgiving week. Oh, wow. Um, but that, that's been fun. So. so Okay, so you guys have added things over time, um, everything from charcoal to dry finish, dry rub, excuse me, wing finish, uh, the por- chicken and pork brine, like you mentioned. Like, how have you decided what to add and, and how have you figured that out? Because, I mean, those are all very different things, right? They are. And one of the things, um, you know, for other entrepreneurs that are listening to think about is there's categorical buyers in each retail chain. So you might have one that buys general merchandise or charcoal, another that buys flavor, another that buys in the seafood category. So we had really started in the seafood category, which was through point of purchase display, incremental display. We were selling, you know, displays of cedar planks to go adjacent to the salmon. So when we started with these other ideas, we didn't really realize how much complexity we were going to introduce into the business by chasing other categories. So 
that became overwhelming, quite honestly, during those early, early years, because we had so many points of contact and so many different things to service um, that it almost we almost kind of lost focus with so much, you know, skew, skew bloat, I guess, is one of the ways you can <laughs> describe bloat. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and uh, how did you guys work through that? Because I'm guessing it was a, you had a small number of people trying to manage more products across multiple categories with multiple buyers at different retailers, right? So how did you guys, and was it you guys calling into the different buyers and at these retail companies? What did that look like? Well, we had rep groups. So these are 1099 folks that were paying a, a commission right. uh, to, take to take into an account. Yep. Right. And to kind of manage the, manage the relationship. Um, but it got rather complex. I mean, we were, I think from a fulfillment standpoint, we were doing fairly well. And from a velocity standpoint, like the product was selling fairly well in the stores. Uh, but you know, it just still, there's a lot of, there's a lot of touch points in the sales cycle there that was really just myself and Jenna doing that through those first 10 years. Yeah. So a lot, a lot to keep up with. Yeah. But fun, right? I mean, you're building business, like people are buying and you're in stores. Pretty cool. Um, okay. So over time, where have you seen the growth? Is it in adding new products or uh, into more stores or, and you also sell online? What does that look like? Well, our business has mostly been in stores. So, you know, some people look at our business like, wow, you must be selling a lot online. The online piece, you know, this is from kind of 2003 to 2013. E-commerce was still developing, so totally. even to this point, totally. it's it. Or I guess during that decade, it was about one percent of our business. Now it's probably more like ten to fifteen percent of our business, because um, a lot of a lot of these big retailers had not gotten gotten into having their own kind of omni-channel, you know, uh, presence. So um, we really relied on those big bulk, as we call bulk orders, you know, power sure. level orders where a Kroger or a Lowe's or a Bed Bath & Beyond is going to place the product right on their shelves. Right. So makes sense. No, and that that's great. It's great to be in the retail channel. Um I always love to ask our guests as you're in a growing business and you, you know, as you're thinking ahead, what are some of the things you're thinking about from a product mix perspective or uh, you know, what are the priorities for growth over the next like 6 to 12 months? How do you think about that? Right. So we've just developed a, a bunch of new products. We have about 80 products right now. So the wow. wing finish that you wow. see on our website is, has been uh, one of the ones we developed. Um, we essentially are, are operating in, in three categories. We're doing the, uh, the general merchandise, which is the charcoal and all the smoking woods. We have a segment of our business that's around flavor. So that's the, the, the dry rubs and the wing finish and the bronze. And then we're, for the first time ever, we're getting into the hard goods space with grill accessories oh, and eventually a, a grill that we're developing. Um, wow. So we, yeah, so we've expanded a, a lot. Um, we actually partnered in the last few years with a very large distributor that gave us a lot more backbone to kind of uh, go into these other categories and have the sales force to, uh, to, to, you know, man all that from a, a sales cycle standpoint. Sure. And as you got, as you've gotten into hard goods, are you private labeling it? Are you like taking product that exists and then putting your brand on it? Or are you designing? What does that look like? It's all, it's all fire and flavor branded stuff. Uh, the hero is a sub brand of fire and flavor, but we, and you know, a lot of businesses have to make this choice whether they're going to do private label or branded or both. Right. And we have, over time, we have basically just gone to branded only. I and mean, we did some private label stuff in the beginning. 
Uh, then, but it's really two separate business models, as far as I'm concerned. And then, do you know your end consumer? Uh, uh, it's tough when you. I mean, it's great in all these retailers, right? Do you know who's buying your product? Are you, you know what I mean? Is there kind of are you able to get some of that information or knowledge or 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 not? <laughs> yes and no. Right. I mean, that slice of business where we have the the ecom piece, especially around Shopify site, you can yeah. see um, you know the Google Analytics to a certain degree. We know that. Like, for instance, our turkey brining kits, they skew a little more older and a little more female. Right. Uh, we know with the grilling stuff, it's going to skew a little more male than female. But it's actually still pretty split uh, because a lot of a lot of females are actually the ones making the purchase decision at retail. Sure. Um, so that's what's kind of a little bit you know, misleading at times is the person buying it may not be the person using it. That's so, so funny. Yeah, that's that's know. true. That's right. That's that's, that's the uh, the epic retail challenge. You know, mom buys product, but the actual yeah, person that eats it or drinks it is someone else. Um, so it's cool. Someone else. Yeah. Hey, I always love to ask our guests some of their biggest lessons learned in growing a business. And you've been at this for a while, but you've had some great success and a lot of runway in front of you. Um, thinking of the other entrepreneurs listening to our show, what would be two or three things you'd offer um, in terms of advice as you think about your experience? Well, I think there's a couple. One, you know, one lesson that we had to learn the hard way was how much working capital it takes to scale an inventory-based business. And having that thought through and the just the economics of how that's all going to float uh, is really, really important because as you scale, I mean, you, can, you can really scale yourself out of working capital. And we ran into that problem in the first, uh, the first kind of decade of our business. Um, of course, we wanted to service these retailers, and they really demand that you do. Uh, you have to ship on time and in full. We call it OTIF, on time yeah. and in full. Um, and they literally will charge you if you do not you know, ship in full and on time. So that was always kind of the, the gun to our head for so many years that we were scared of, of running out of inventory. But you know, therein lies the uh, you know, the issue, you've got to have enough working capital to get the inventory in your, in your business. So we've solved that problem. Um, I think skew focus is really important. You know, you want to have, you want to have items that uh, are really winners at retail. I mean, you have, you need to have enough to have a brand block for the retailer, but essentially you're looking for volume. If you've got one skew that does enough volume, you really should stay focused on that. So, you know, got we, it. we got a little distracted in the, in the early stages. Um, and then I would say the third thing is just relationships. I mean, every business is built on relationships and, you know, we lean very heavily on our sales reps and their relationship and understanding of these key accounts. Um, and quite honestly, to this day, like the, the Lowe's buyers and the Kroger buyers and the Publix buyers, they like to hear from me directly, you know, when we sure. go and review with them because they know that they've got a relationship for, you know, with me directly for what uh, what programs we put together and what we promise. So um, it's hard to outsource at all. I mean, our business is really built on a um, we're a brand owner with a with a copac distribution model. That's the way you would describe us. So we don't have our own plants. Um so you can imagine that relies on having a lot of trust with uh, with third parties. Totally. I can imagine. Um, oh, that's some awesome advice. Um, so cool having you on. Um, so great to get to know you and your brand and know uh, kind of your, your backstory and history. Um, where can our audience find your products, buy your products? You've mentioned a couple of outlets and whatnot. And where can they learn more about you guys? Sure. Uh, well, the, the folks that are here in the South can definitely go to Publix and Kroger. Publix is one of our 
our top accounts, but fireandflavor.com, you can find our full listing of products. All of our products are also available on Amazon. We'd love uh, especially to ask for reviews on our products, you know, as the e-commerce world has become so popular post-COVID, you know, that, that style of shopping is popular and it's all driven by reviews and uh, and and ratings of products. So we appreciate the support. Man, I love that. Um, so fun having you on. Can't wait to see where you guys go. You got to come back on down the road and, uh, and, and give us some more updates on your product and where you guys have taken it. So man, it's been so fun having you here today. Happy to do so. Thanks for having me on and uh, best of luck to you. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.